Hey folks, this is Lee W. Mallon of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and I'm here to talk to you about Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NBA and NHL playoffs, as well as Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. It's BetOnline, where the game starts. Mmm, baseball. Summer spectacular sport. Now featuring 90-plus degree weather in Ohio this upcoming week. Stay hydrated. Stay sunscreened and stay educated on your local teams. No stupid questions like, do the Dayton Dragons actually winning actually matter? You say that in this podcast instantly teleports you to something equal of your taste. How's Cowan Cowherd and Skip Bayless complaining about LeBron James for the 85th trillionth time sound? Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. The podcast talking local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio area sports. Listen on your favorite podcast platforms by visiting cindaypod.com. That's C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D.com. Intro theme is Overdrive by Matrika from Upbeat.io. Here's your host, Lee W. Mowen. Speaking of people that are insanely way too loud because they want to get a point across or something, anyone see that Stephen A. Smith wants to run for United States Senate? Aren't we just still getting out of the mess that the last famous guy left us in office? I digress. This is not a politics show, nor do I want to speak politics. I want to speak local sports because Dayton Sports Radio sure doesn't. Anyway. It's baseball, the runner-up in the pool to soccer, but we're still going to talk about baseball because this is what this podcast does, and this is what I do, talk local sports, because again, Dayton Sports Radio doesn't want to. We're going to start off with summer collegiate ball, which is called Kids with Wooden Bats, although technically in college, you can have wooden bats. It's just really expensive. So the first league we're going to dive into is the Prospect League. It was formed in 2009. A little help from the Central Illinois Collegiate League. And the team we're most focused on is the Champion City Kings. And we'll talk a little chill of coffee paints too, just because it's close. It's an hour away. And then why is local sports radio obsessed with that team in Columbus? It's also an hour away, but... You don't want to have that cup of tea yet. Champion City House Springfield. They play at Carlton Davidson Stadium, also the home of Division Three Wittenberg's baseball program. And just about a mile or two away from Wittenberg's beautiful campus. Kings so far in their first 10 games, three wins and seven losses. Incidentally, if you want to hear nothing but Champion City Kings I have a podcast for that. It's called King Me, the Champion City Kings podcast. And it is on championcitykings.com or wherever you get your podcast. Really need to have a link up to that or something on 
either my personal website or podcast personal website. So we're going to dive into it again. And plus, I do have a special interview that I'm going to steal from my other podcast and put on here because I can. So Champion City in the Ohio River Valley Division with Chillicothe, Ohio and the Paints. West Virginia Miners out of Beckley, West Virginia, south end of the state. And Johnstown Mill Rats, which is part of the western part of Pennsylvania, but it's east of Pittsburgh. Somehow I thought it was closer to Pittsburgh than it is, but hey, no, I'm only human. So Champion City 3-7, and seven, they're a game back of Johnstown, and... So far, the Kings, they have the second best batting average in the league. 293 for the Kings. They are only behind Terre Haute and the Rex, who are batting 309. So, yeah, this Kings team, they, the year in a six that I've been with the team, this team knows how to hit the ball. They know how to get contact and they know how they can drive in runs. It, Hasn't been clicking along with the pitching, but you know what? It takes time, and I think it's only a matter of time before the Kings get on a massive winning streak. In case you're wondering about Chillicothe, they're third in the league. They're batting 288, and the Kings and the Paints will face each other next week. And I highly recommend, if you haven't seen a Prospect League game, come on out to Carlton Davidson Stadium. It's going to be a 2 Seven-inning doubleheader affair starting at 5.30 next Tuesday. So the Kings, 293 on-base percentage at 379 and slugging percentage at 381. Those are towards the top of the league. Actually, let's find out where that on-base percentage lies because Chillicothe actually has a 392. Actually, ninth best on-base percentage for Champion City out of 16 teams. The best is Terre Haute. They're getting on base about 44% of the time. How insane is that? And slugging-wise, the Kings, I mentioned 381. If I don't right-click it, I can tell you 381 is good for 8th in the league, which is dead middle. Now let's talk about the pitching. At one point in the season, the Kings had the 4th lowest ERA in the Prospect League. That's in the top quarter. That's really, really good. That has since changed, and the Kings now spot a scroll bar that doesn't want to move. No. A 5.98 ERA, which is close to six runs given up per game earned runs. So that's 12th in the league out of 16. Chillicothe, a 3.77 ERA. That's second best. And the next foe for Champion City is Johnstown. They had the best. Now they have the sixth best at 4.93, which considering their old number was 2.17. Yeah, that has more than doubled. And also fielding-wise, towards the middle, the Kings are. They have committed 19 errors. They've committed a lot more errors in the last few games, but this is a team that's very capable. I know I read you a high ERA, a good batting average for a team, but again, once everything clicks, who's to stop them? So that's what I'm waiting for. Good bunch of guys. One native Springfielder. On the team, that's Patrick Fultz. He's soon to be a Wright State Raider. A couple more locals on the team. Tyler Weinkoop out of Huber Heights. Kyle Mahan out of Centerville, although his hometown is listed as Dayton. But he was a former Centerville Elk. I know I saw him play with the Elks. And you had two former Beavers in Jake Wolf and Charlie Schaefer. I listed on the media notes as a local 
uh, Kyler Archerwell. He went to school at Worthington Kilbourne in Columbus, which I know is not local to this podcast, but maybe this year I'll talk about Columbus area high school football again. I don't know. I mean, that covering Cincinnati and Dayton and the few episodes I did, that took a lot out, but there you go. So it's a 60 game slate. Unless you make the playoffs, then you get more and should be 30 home, 30 away. Just missed out on the longest homestand of the year. Next longest one is six out of seven and five straight for the Kings. And that's the end of the season in August. Season started June the 1st and it goes until about the first weekend of August. And there are two teams in each division that make the playoffs. Right now, Chillicothe of the half first half were to end. They would get the first half title and they would host the second half title winner. And right now, Champion City, a few games back of the Paints, I think four and a half now away from Chillicothe. One thing I don't like on the standings is it used to say the game's back. Now with Presto Sports, it does not. That's a helpful feature. Put that back. It makes me sound smart. So there you go. That's your look at the Prospect League. 16 teams, two former uh, minor league teams in Clinton and Burlington, a few former Frontier League teams in Chillicothe. They were a Frontier League team for 15 years. Uh, Normal Corn Belters, also formerly Frontier League. I feel like that's all the former ones. Technically, Champion City, they got their start in Slippery Rock. They started off in the Frontier League, and they lasted a grand total of one season. And it was interesting that season because the organization was mostly ran by college kids at Slippery Rock U. That's where they played. And then in 2014, they moved on to Springfield, Ohio, and the rest is history. I love the Prospect League. I love the competitiveness I love the rivals that Champion City has. Chillicothe is only about an hour away on 68 and 35. Uh, West Virginia, they were the cream of the crop the last few years. Teams haven't been, you know, able to accomplish that same feat, but they are tied with the most championships in the Prospect League with three, along with the Cape Catfish in the West. Lafayette's a really good team. They're now seven and four. Uh, Danville, great history. One time minor league affiliate of the Dodgers, I believe, and their stadium is 76 years old now. They got a facelift and a new renovation, which is nice to see. Terre Haute, they play where Indiana State plays. So, yeah, there's a lot of great franchises here, a lot of great teams. And now we talk about another great set of summer baseball teams in Great Lakes. Not to be confused with Great Lakes loans. But Great Lakes Summer Collegiate League. And they just got their season underway. They start about a week later than what the Prospect League does. And they have less games. Normally, they'll close up in two months. Means June, July, and then playoffs. Let's look at those beautiful Great Lakes standings. And hopefully, we'll find, you know, summer 2022. You know, the season that we're currently in. South Division, there's a lot of local teams, and we'll go through them. The Richmond, Indiana Jazz, the Xenia Scouts, the Hamilton Joes, the Grand Lake Mariners up in Salina, second oldest team in the Great Lakes. You got Cincinnati Steam, which were at Western Hills, not sure where they're at now. And Licking County, which, yes, I know, Columbus, but I'm really excited to see them back. 
They took off a few years. They were the Ohio Bison. And I think I made it clear in the podcast. I don't like it that teams call themselves after a state. I mean, if you're the only one in the state, then fine. But you're not. You're far from not. And there was another Ohio team, too. I think it was the Rouse Circleville. The Ohio. Oh, now I forget. The Ohio. Now I forget. That's a heck of a team name. Let me know when jerseys are printed. And up north. You got the Lima locals. They are the oldest team in the Great Lakes and one of the more successful franchises, too. And the rest of the teams are up north. I don't think there's any team that crosses the Canadian border, which is a shame. St. Clair, uh, Green Giants, they were decent, but I guess things didn't work out. So that is seven in the south, six in the north. Normally, it's the other way around where it's more in the north, but hey. And right now, leading the North, a tie for 4-2, and two, Lima and the Michigan Monarchs. In the South, a perfect 4-0 start for the return of the Licking County Settlers. One game back, the Cincinnati Steam. And a game and a half back, Southern Ohio and the Copperheads. They're back. They took a few years off thanks to the COVID-19 shutdown. They play at Ohio University in Athens. Then Grand Lake, 2-2, two and two, Hamilton, 2-4, and four, Xenia, 1-3, Richmond, 0-3. And yes, the Jazz play at McBride Stadium, one of my favorite stadiums I've gotten to work in thus far. The other one is Carlton Davidson. Never met a stadium I haven't liked. But yeah, six games in for most of the teams. I think the Jazz got the worst of that. They've only played three because, yeah, this has been a very wet summer so far. Very wet late spring. And now we're going to have upper 90 degree weather. Woo boy. So why go and support these college teams? Well, it's for college kids to you know, get their stock up. These Now, the best summer collegiate league team is arguably Cape Cod because that's where most of your uh, stars have come out of. You get more exposure out of the Cape Cod, which I think a couple of the former Kings from last year are. And that's really cool. Hopefully, they'll get drafted like another former Springfield kid and Ben Ross. Man, that kid could hit last year. It's a lot of fun to watch him. So hopefully... Things go well. It's a league off day for the Prospect League, but looks like Monday we got Xenia at Southern Ohio, Richmond at Grand Lake, and Licking County in Cincinnati. That is if the severe thunderstorms don't wipe everything out again. Man, I've had so many rainouts and doubleheaders. My head's spinning. So, again, support these teams. Buy some merchandise. Go to the games. If you can't do, you know, Going to the games, there's broadcasts for most of these teams. Prospect League, there's a pay-per-view system, Prospect League TV. You might have seen me talk about it because, I don't know, I'm the voice of the Kings, so that helps. And for Great Lakes, I feel like some teams have broadcasts, others don't. But I don't know. I think Great Lakes would be well-serviced with having a system like that, just saying, hey, you need a camcorder, a capture card, and sound equipment, and you'll be okay to stream. That's me, though. I don't have any real say in that. I just tell you what's happening locally. So again, up north, you got Lima and Salina, Grand Lake out of Montgomery Field, the Mariners. And then you got Cincinnati Steam, Hamilton Joes. Yes, named after Joe Nuxall at Foundation Field. Xenia Scouts at Athletes in Action. Brady's uh, Grady's Field. I didn't think it was Brady's Field. I don't know, because I was off one letter. Get off me. And then Richmond in McBride Stadium. So if you can follow those teams, do it as we're heading in towards the halfway point of June. Not a lot of time to catch. You blink and it's gone. So go out and see your teams 
And now, from King Me, the Champion City of Kings podcast, I have an interview with General Manager Ginger Fulton, and we're going to air it right now. Ginger, thank you for joining me on King Me, the Champion City Kings podcast. How are you? I'm great, Lee. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. You're the first guest on this podcast, and already we've gotten a lot of uh, numbers on listenership. I think close to 5,000 already, if you can believe that. Yeah. Great. So I like to start off. um, How did you get the general manager role, and where are you from? Well, uh, I'm originally from Springfield, Ohio, and uh, I've lived uh, a lot of other places. And I've been in college athletics for, gosh, well over 25 years. I was in the golf business before that. And I'd been living on the East Coast for about 20 years and decided it was time to move back home and be closer to family. And that's what I did and uh, found that I wasn't very good at retirement, really needed something to do. And um, this position was presented to me and uh, I really, really, really liked uh, the guys, the owners and the concept. And uh, really it's uh, it's quite a civic endeavor and, and, you know, really loving Springfield growing up here. I, I thought it'd be a lot of fun to do. Now, as someone that graduated from a nearby high school in Springfield, how much does this mean to you that you're getting to run a baseball program here in your hometown? Well, it, it means a lot to me because I've always loved baseball. I mean, baseball was my first love. I, I actually, you know, spent a, a good bit of time in uh, in golf, uh, but baseball was always my first love. But you have to understand, in the time that I grew up, girls weren't allowed to play little league, so I used to practice with the boys' teams and then uh, and then watch them play their games. And so, you know, it, it's always been in the back of my mind to to be involved somehow with baseball and uh, was happy to have this opportunity and uh, it's a lot of fun. Now you got started with the Kings in 2018. Is that correct? Yeah. October of 2018. Okay. So how has things changed with the Kings from your first day with the organization till the 2022 season? I mean, the prospect league has grown so much. What has all changed away from the team and with the team? Well, I think um, I think when we started, there was really no there was really no playbook. So what I've been trying to do is um, really add some of my um, athletic administration background to building a foundation for the team. I think uh, Rick White and his family were involved and they, they got this started and they had lots of passion for it. And uh, that was terrific. And uh, I think it was they felt like it was time to hand it off to someone else. And I happened to be there in the wings. So I'm going to try to run it and, and do the best I can with it. And then I'll eventually hand it to someone else who will, will take it to further heights than me. And so uh, that's been my, uh, been my goal to kind of put a good foundation in uh, for, for the organization. Uh, lots of things have changed. I think, the they've gone from eight to 10 to starting in 23, uh, 17 teams uh, and po- you know, possibly a few more. Uh, we've added a lot of teams in the West, which has been a little difficult uh, for those of us on the East side, trying to manage, um, manage travel. And, you know, we're trying to figure out that sweet spot and how many games is really the right number of games to play. 
and uh, that, that, that gives the, the players the best experience they can have without really wearing them out because they're coming right from college or right to our teams. And then they're going right back to college and they love baseballs and they're young guys. So it doesn't hurt them too much, but you know, I do have a feel, a feel for them in terms of uh, they need to spend a little time with their family maybe, uh, at some point during the summer and have a little bit of downtime away from baseball. So I think we're all trying to figure that out a little bit because, uh, you know, baseball itself is changing and um, we're trying to make sure we're, we're doing the right thing and, and putting the players first and, and thinking a lot about how can we, how can we take care of the players and, um, and still have a, a really nice quality baseball for our communities. You know, you mentioned a couple of great things like in the West, it's really clouded up like around Western Illinois to Iowa now with the addition of Clinton and Burlington from last year, which is so weird. I'm working with the Dragons and I get to see them with the Dragons and now they're in the Prospect League. So I get to see them again. So that's always uh, that's always funny to me. But, yeah, the West is really crowded and hopefully in the East we'll get some teams that can help, you know, alleviate some travel now if you were given the keys to say hey prospect league go here make a team here where are you telling them to go because yeah kings have uh in their own division they got some pretty big doozy trips like johnstown pennsylvania beckley west virginia south portion of the state but luckily chill coffee's like an hour where would you put a prospect league team well i'd like to see something a little bit up closer to cleveland maybe the mansfield area uh i actually was an assistant golf pro there at Westbrook Country Club, Country Club at one time, and it's really nice, really nice community. Uh, I'd love to see something in Cincinnati, uh, and I'd love to see something maybe over on the Indiana Ohio border uh, that that would be part of our part of our group. So I think that would kind of help uh, shore up this side. But of course, we've got to have have the franchises and have the the communities uh, that are interested in in having these teams. Remember my first in the prospect league was with the Richmond river rats. And I thought that was a nice fit. Like, you know, you got teams in Ohio to go. And there was one time a team in Lorraine County, the Ironman, but uh, they folded a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean the East, I mean, you look at the road trips. I mean, it's, it's a little better than the Walbrush river than the Ohio river. Ooh, that's, that's a lot of trips, especially. Well, yeah. And we're a lot closer we're a lot closer to Terre Haute, Danville, and Lafayette than we are to Johnstown, for example, mm-hmm. and and West Virginia. West Virginia and Danville are about the same distance okay. in opposite directions. But uh, so so if we could find something kind of in between, it would certainly help West Virginia. It would help Johnstown. It would it would help Chillicothe us. So um, so yeah, I mean that would be it would be great, and uh, I'd love to see the. Love to see the lake expand this direction. I have to say, I'm I'm not crazy about um, having too many teams too close. Mm-hmm. I think there, I think that that uh, waters it down a little bit. So, so I like a little bit of space, uh, and that's um, and then you know, kind of have some natural rivalries within that. So, uh, so we'll see. Time will tell. Let's move on to the operations side and you know, day-to-day operations of running the Kings. What's been some of your most challenging moments and what's been some of your favorite parts with the Kings? Well, this week, the challenge has been the weather. Uh, (laughs) uh, You're not kidding uh, there. We had uh, 
five games, five home games this, in the last seven days, and we had rain in three of them, I think. So uh, the weather's been tough, uh, I think. Uh, I just think there's a lot of details um, at, at a lot of, it's a lot of herding cats, as they say, um, <laughs> trying to put all the, all the pieces together and have the right personnel in the right place. Uh, I think I think so, those are some of the real challenges every year. Uh, by far, of course, my my favorite would have been our playoff game last year that we won in dramatic fashion. <laughs> Here, uh, the last game we played uh, October fifth or August fifth last year, uh, when we um, you know we were behind Shilakothi by one and and Homer to tie it up, and then uh, uh, guy scored from home. I think Ben Ross it was scored from home on a long fly ball. Uh, that was really an exciting, exciting end to uh, a playoff game. So, so that's a lot of fun. I think the other part is I really the young men. I I, I don't get to spend quite as much time with them as the coaches do, but uh, we've been bringing in some really quality people, and uh, I, I really like the young men that we bring in. Absolutely, they they represent Springfield the highest integrity. So I always appreciate that, and I always like it when the local kids have a chance to play for the local team. This year is just Patrick Fultz who's going to be playing at Wright State, which is not too far away now. But at the same time, you know, it's it's always important to find not only ball players that will help you win games, but ball players that are going to also represent you in the highest quality. No, no question about it. When when we have those local kids that can play at, at this level, uh, we we love to have we love to have them. No doubt about it. And uh, you know, with Ben Ross last year, he really made great strides in his uh, in his college uh, year playing, and then great strides with us this year. And I'm hoping he gets drafted here in July. Uh, Borges was a great pitcher. Peters, we really really enjoyed having a lot of those guys. But it's, it's really key that they are able to, you know, we want them to be successful. So I want to, I want to make sure they're in a, in a position where they can be successful and, and help themselves as well as help us. Now on PLTV, I always tell folks, come out to Springfield. You're going to meet some good people and have a good time up here. What are some of the events that folks can expect when they make their way to Carlton Davidson Stadium? Well, we just had a spectacular fireworks night on June. June 10th, and we're planning another one for July 29th. Uh, but I think one of the most unique things we have coming up is the Dueling Pianos. Uh, it's sponsored by uh, NCF Savings and Loan. And uh, these fellows come from St. Louis. They have a couple uh, cutouts that look like uh, baby grands, and uh, folks will come an hour ahead of time, and they'll take requests and can play any anything you want so they're they're a lot of fun they know baseball they know when when to play and what to play and how to get the crowd excited uh so we're that's our next event that's june friday june 24th we're uh, looking forward to having those fellows here yeah they were great last year they took requests and it's really cool like you think at a baseball game there's organs right which that's pretty standard but dueling pianos that's not something I know about many baseball games. So that's really cool. And if it's the same guys, they're really nice too. So definitely. Yeah, it is definitely the same guys. Awesome. They come out of Spanky Entertainment is the name of their organization. And um, they they are a lot of fun and they will play anything. 
So what else can fans expect? Like Tuesdays are $2 Tuesdays, Thursdays are Thirsty Thursdays, and Dollar Hot Dog Wednesdays, I believe. That's right. So we have a ticket discount on Tuesday. So everyone's $2 Tuesdays, Dollar Dogs on Wednesday night, any Wednesday game. And then we have Dollar Off Beer on Thirsty Thursdays. So we also have a... when. on the nights that we're not giving a beer discount, we'll have a, we'll have a beer batter. We'll pick a player on the other team. And if he strikes out for the next, any, anyone in line gets a, a dollar off their beer. So, uh, so we have a little fun with that. Um, and then in between innings, we uh, play a lot of uh, games with the, uh, with the, the children and we'll probably get some adults involved here and there and they play frisbee tosses and they play tug tug of war with the players and uh we just do all kinds of games with uh with children just to get them involved and having a good time and uh really what we have there is and, and what we've been trying to have is just a really nice family atmosphere uh kids can kind of run around watch the game have fun sing take me out to the ball game uh just uh have a real relaxing evening and enjoy some quality baseball. I mean, that's something that most teams don't think about. It's, it's you know, family-friendly atmosphere, you know? You, you come out, there's a baseball game, but families are having fun at the same time, too. So that's something I've always admired about how the Kings are ran like that. So I always, I always like that. Yeah, and it's a great venue for businesses to bring their employees out and their families and, and uh, you know, have a night out to, away from the office uh, so we have we have quite a few groups coming up tomorrow. The Osterland Home will be there. We have the Springfield Board of Realtors uh, coming on Wednesday. Uh, next Tuesday uh, and Wednesday, we have the uh, uh, Mercy Health employees. Uh, they'll come for a, a two day event uh, and en- entertain their employees. And so uh, and, and on and on and on with with companies. Uh, it's it's really fabulous. I'm, I'm glad they think of us as a you know, a form of entertainment that's uh, certainly affordable. And uh, with gas these days, you don't want to be driving to Dayton or Columbus to do too much. So, <laughs> so we're a really good option uh, for people to have a have an evening out. And, and it's, you know, the ballpark's terrific sitting there by the river, or the, the creek, and um, just a really, really nice atmosphere is what we're shooting for, you know, every night. And people just, you know, have a great time. It's just too bad people can't enjoy the creek because I mentioned in the podcast that it's going to be upper 90s on Wednesday. So it's like, hmm, wouldn't that be nice if you could go in the we, creek? It's like, Whoo. yeah, we may all want to jump, <laughs> jump in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be warm the next couple of days. So uh, we'll, we'll have plenty of cold water and cold beer. So <laughs> come on out and get a little bit of breeze. Just stay hydrated and also wear sunscreen as well. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about the team. Uh, your thoughts on the 2022 squad? Well, I think they're I think they're ready for a breakthrough. They've been really close on a number of games and and just fallen on the wrong side of the dice. And I just think that um, as time goes on, they've just got to learn to win, and they've got to learn to kind of bear down at the right times uh, and 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 lift each other up as a team. And I think they'll I think they'll be fine. I you know they're in good hands with. Gavin Murphy and John Earhart and 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 uh, Mark Lucas. So I, I think those three guys will um, guide them correctly, and they can kind of get over this little hump. And uh, I'm looking forward to those bats coming alive. They finally they started coming alive. We just sometimes come up and a, a, a run short. So uh, I'm hoping uh, 
we're going to turn a corner here very shortly. Johnstown's in town Tuesday and Wednesday, and they're in the midst of a seven-game slide. So no time like the upcoming homestand for Champion City. Yeah, you can't panic. It's still early. It's all, it, you know, it's uh, they're they're young men, and it's always going to be up and down like that, depending on uh, you know the quality of the pitching. Some nights it's better than others, and that's that's just the nature. So you hope if, if your pitching isn't quite as good that night, that your bats pick pick him up and uh, you know support him. So it's just uh, it's just the nature of sports, and it's cyclical, and uh, you know we're ready for a big big turn here and uh i'm sure i'm sure the coaches and the players are too now to close off the interview if you could tell people that are listening to this podcast watching on pltv to come out to springfield what would you tell them say hey come on out to carlton davidson stadium see us live well i'd say if you're looking for a night out you don't want to have to drive uh too far uh we we do some fun things down there. It's a great cross section of people. We have cold beer, good hot dogs, good hamburgers, and uh, you know it's a it's just a nice nice evening uh, to to enjoy being outside and, and being around your fellow citizens. Absolutely, Ginger Fulton, GM of the Champion City Kings. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Lee. Thanks for having me. Like I mentioned, that came off the other podcast I run. It's called King Me, the Champion City Kings podcast. If you want to follow my adventures in my second year with the Springfield Collegiate Team, I suggest going to championcitykings.com. It's on the front page or click on multimedia and it's wherever you get your podcasts. So join me there for Champion City Kings goodness. And hopefully it's the last time I will ever crossfade by podcasts like that, but I doubt it. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Now it's time to talk about the Dayton Dragons. It's a mighty team, this Dayton Dragons team coming into this series with Great Lakes. Never lost a series. In fact, the worst they've done is go three, four, six at Lansing. And Lansing's always been a thorn in the Dragons side. It doesn't matter if they're. Chicago Cubs, which they were back in the day, Toronto Blue Jays, where you can say probably their, I wouldn't say highlight, but more their, you know, peak has happened. That's been where some of their toughest talent has been, you know, or now with the Oakland Athletics. Lansing's always been a thorn in the side of the Dragons, but only meeting them once. And Dayton so far, they are still in first place. However, we do have our first call-up of the year. It is Alex McGarry getting way to double-A Chattanooga. The dude was mashing left and right. I mean, well-deserved a call-up. However, it does worry me about what if Cincinnati starts to call up more. Because let me tell you, this Dragons team, it rivals some of the classic Dayton teams where they had a lot of talent. I mean, 2017's team was pretty loaded. 2011's team was really loaded. And you have a few from the 2000s. This one is probably the most loaded Dayton has ever been. And I'm saying that as someone that's seen this team a lot, announced this team a few times. This team is the real deal. However, for the first time this year, Dayton 
has lost a series. In fact, they have lost five straight, which is also a first. In fact, when they lost three, that was a first. They only lost back-to-back games at Lansing. Tells you how good Dayton's been. 36-20 and 20 are the Dragons. They are in first place of the Midwest League East Division. And now they head on the road for six, starting tomorrow, Tuesday the 14th, at Cedar Rapids. Which, by the way, Cedar Rapids, a similar record at 37-20. and 20. They're going to host the Dragons for six, starting tomorrow. 37 and 20 for the Colonels, 7 and 3 of their last 10, and 17 at 10 at home, whereas the Dragons 16 and 8 away, and at home now 20 and 12. And this Cedar Rapids team is good. How good? Their run differential is plus 110. Dayton's plus 41. Yeah. Nearly 70 run difference on that. How crazy is that? And plus, the runs allowed, Dayton has only allowed 35 more than Cedar Rapids has. It's just the Colonels are really mashing as well. 310 to 276 for the Dragons. So if Dayton really, really wants the first half title, which you do because playoffs are a little different, you got to win at least four. I'd say win the whole kit and caboodle, but that's just the cynical side of me. Right now in the East is Dayton, the Great Lakes, who took five of six in Dayton. They're now three and a half back of first, 33 and 24 of the Loons. They're affiliated with the Dodgers. The Cleveland Guardians, Lake County captains, 30 and 26. They're six back of first. And I believe already out of a playoff spot in the first half, West Michigan for Detroit, 26-31. Fort Wayne, 22 and 35. They're with the Padres and the Oakland Athletics, Lansing Lugnuts at 22 and 35. In case you care about the West, Cedar Rapids 37-20. They are also three and a half up on second place, Wisconsin. The Timber Rattlers are 33-23. South Bend Cubs in third, seven back at 30 and 27. Beloit 25-31. Peoria 25-32. And Quad Cities 21 and 36. Yeah, Quad Cities isn't the strong team we knew them as last year when they won the whole kit and caboodle again. They're with the Kansas City Royals, the Bandits are. So, first half, the playoffs are going to be like this. You know how when we had eight teams in each division? Well, we only have six, so yeah. Top team wins, and they'll host two or three playoff games at the end of the season. Second place team gets squat. Try again. Second half. This cap does not give you a free Pepsi. So, yeah, top team gets in the playoffs. Bottom uh, second through six. Do not. Whereas the old way was you'd have a first half winner and a first half wild card. So first and second place and same again for second half. So it was like half the field was getting in because it'd be eight different teams. Yeah. So. That streak scares me, Dayton. What happened? I mean, guy that you hit up pretty well in Kendall Williams. You know, he strikes out eight in a row, and if it wasn't for that two-hour rain delay, he might break the all-time record with 12 straight in a row. So it happens. You know, it's baseball. You can't expect peak performance. I don't want to say that McGarry called up calls that because it didn't. You know, there's other bats, there's other heavy hitters. 
as now the Dayton Dragons have a new first baseman. Normally, it's Garrett Wolforth. It's not a set lineup like you would expect in the majors. Like Joey Votto, he'll play first, and Tyler Stevenson should play first if he wasn't hurt again. I swear, this is, is this a curse for the Bengals being so good? Hey, it's just... Uh... I know it's sports. It happens. So let's tell you about the Dayton Dragons team as a whole team batting wise. Dayton currently has an average of 236. Your top hitting team in the Midwest League is West Michigan. They're hitting 245. Really, Dayton run. They're having 236. Is pitching really that dominant? Well, let's find out. South Bend, second, 243. Lansing, 239. Cedar Rapids, 236 with Dayton and Quad Cities. Beloit sitting, 233. Peoria, 231. Great Lakes, 228. Wisconsin, 223. Lake County, 211. Fort Wayne, 210. That's your look. The Dragons have recorded 240 RBI. It's 65 home runs. That's towards the top, but Cedar Rapids has two more. 17 triples, 93 doubles, which, nope, that's not the top. It's South Bend's 103 for a grand total of 412 hits. And yeah, you already guessed it. That's not the top either. That would go to South Bend, West Michigan with 454 with Cedar Rapids. Not that far, 446. Dayton, if you're just sorting by hits, tie for eight with Great Lakes. And boy, the Great Lakes hits in that series. Let's look at team pitching now, because that's also important, because in baseball, you have to pitch. Wow. Next, you're going to ask me, is winning a championship for Dayton Dragons all that useful? It's like, no, no they're just playing for the heck of it. You know, just, I, I, I still can't believe that was a thing that was asked on local radio twice. It's it's. Almost as common as why doesn't Dayton play right state? And good Lord, the real fans know that's an annoying question. Although I feel like the Flyers are making a joke about that because they'll play everyone else in the Horizon League, including Robert Morris, who was a grand total of eight and 22. But, you know, right state's not competition. <laughs> OK. So why is it taking me all this? That was a fun topic. And now here we go. I think it just took me back to hitting. What is these stats? There we go. Dayton's got a 3.97 ERA. That's fifth best in the Midwest League. Cedar Rapids, a 2.97 ERA, which is about three runs per game. Dayton's about four runs per game allowed. That's not bad. Those are pretty good numbers. And if you're the cynic like me asking who's got the highest ERA, Quad Cities, a 5.29 ERA. That's a staffy array, mind you. Lansing in the east, they have the highest of 5.16. Cedar Rapids, 297. Lake County, 361. They do have some pretty good arms, the captains do. Beloit, 384. Great Lakes, 393. Dayton, 397. Wisconsin, an even four. South Bend, 412. Peoria, 416. West Michigan, 440. And Fort Wayne rounding up the top 10 and 453. And then I forget, oh yeah, there's only 12 teams in the Midwest League. So there we go. Let's look at the individual stats. This is after the Great Lakes series. Off day in the Midwest League. It's a travel day and the Dragons are already heading west to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I believe that's about a 10-hour trip to Cedar Rapids. Let's just say it's a 10-hour trip. It's pretty far. Let's look at them batting averages, shall we? 
And it also includes Albert Amora Jr. Nice. So, Ellie De La Cruz is now your leading batter. He was hitting 291 with 11 home runs. That was tied with Alex McGarry for first. Now it's just playing first since McGarry's in double A Chattanooga. 10 doubles, which is not the top number. Alan Serta's 11 is. So, Ellie De La Cruz, the number one prospect in the Reds farm system. Oh, yeah. He's doing good. His on-base percentage could be a touch higher. It's at 33.2, so it's about one time every three he's on base, which I know that sounds pretty good and why you complain about that. I'm just saying, you know. And also, apparently, what I heard from the Dragons uh, radio announcer yesterday, Lyle Goldstein, that De La Cruz could use some work against left-handed batters, or left-handed pitchers even. He can bat against left-handed batters. Yeah, that'd be a sight to see. Battle of the Bats. Who's going to swing theirs the farthest? No, left-handed pitchers. He could hit better against left-handed pitchers. Is slugging a very nice seven? Excuse me, five seventy-one, which also is not the top. Alex McGarry was over sixty percent with his slugging percentage. So I mentioned McGarry. He's off to Chattanooga. He was hitting two eighty-six, eleven RBI. Excuse me, eleven home runs for thirty-seven RBI. Same numbers as. De La Cruz, three less triples, though, with three. Same amount of doubles with 10, with 44 hits. Reese Hines on the other side, his bat has started to catch fire. He's now hitting 252 Hines. When this dude hits the ball, he sends it far. How far? Well, out of the park six times, two triples, six doubles for 41 hits. One thing I notice is the strikeouts to walk ratio. They're not really friendly. For the top three I'm mentioning, De La Cruz, 68 strikeouts to 11 walks, 57 strikeouts, 10 walks for McGarry, and 71 strikeouts to 18 for Reese Hines. And no, that's not the most. Alan Serta has struck out 75 times, but he's got higher walks, 33, and that's the most on the team. Serta's been a bit patient at the plate. So back to the individuals. Reese Hines, 18 RBI, 252 batting average. Justice Thompson, 250. He's starting to course correct. He's getting a little bit better up there. 15 RBI and two home runs. Nick Quintana, he's known more for his gold glove quality defense. I mean, seriously, when he is on the field, you can feel safe about the, you know, everyday hits. But then when you get the... Woo, you need to throw it as soon as you get it in your hands. Quintana's got you covered. This dude is the real deal defensively, and his bat is slowly coming around. I think that's why Detroit just said, okay, we'll take Tucker Barnhart from you. You can have Nick Quintana. So there we go. Quintana, 248 average, four home runs, 28 RBI. Garrett Wolforth, 238. His average has dipped down a touch, but he's the backup catcher behind Matt Nelson. He is the better batting catcher right now, 238 compared to Nelson's 225. That comes with six home runs and 24 RBI. Seven home runs, 18 RBI, 236 average for Jose Torres. And to say he's in a slump, yeah. Hey, he's he's getting the hits there and here and there. It's just he he's hit a bad patch, and now it's just about balancing out i think torres will be able to do it i have full confidence in him and trust me this dude he can mash too in fact 18 rbi seven home runs that is fourth best in home runs matthew nelson 12 rbi four home runs 225 average alan serta 224 average i mentioned he struck out the most but also has walked the most 20 rbi nine home runs 
Ashton Creel, he got sent down to Daytona. He's hitting 222 thanks to a rash of injuries with the Tortugas. JV Martinez, he's hitting 220. He's a multi-year dragon with eight RBI, one home run. Austin Hendrick, he's hitting 211. That must have been a rough series against Gray Lakes. Uh, he has six RBI and two home runs. Much like Reese Hines, the dude hits the ball, he can smash it. And now Jonathan Willems, 186. Jack Rogers was hitting 097 before being sent down to Daytona. He went hitless in his first 36 at-bats, I believe. And just sent down to try to get your thoughts back in order and mash like you did late last year with Dayton. I know he can do it. Also a great guy, too. Michael Troutwine, 095. He's the third string catcher, so he gets a game here and there. Two of 21. And that's your Dragons batting. Here's your Dragons pitching. And that'd be great if it would stop showing me just one pitcher. It's Connor Phillips. He's the Friday night starter. Yes, part of the deal that sent Winker and Suarez to Seattle. And apparently Winker is doing horrible in Seattle, but Suarez is back to... Close to his old self. How does that compute? I don't know. So right now, your lowest ERAs belong to Miguel Madrano, who just came down from Chattanooga. He made an appearance, pitched two innings, gave up a hit, walked two, struck out two. And his batting average in those two innings, 143. That ain't bad. Stranger Aaron Guren, he had three clean performances, but he is... I forget if he's sent down to Arizona League or what, but he's not with the team anymore. Three wins, no losses, six and a third, gave up no runs, six hits, walked four and struck out two. Maybe it's just to correct that. His batting average against a little high at 261. Andrew Abbott, the Sunday starter, he has been in Chattanooga for quite some time. And from reports that I've read, mostly from RedsmeyerLeague.com from Doug Gray, Abbott has continued to dominate, which is what I love to see. Left-handed starter started Sunday games. And you can always feel safe that Abbott was going to get you the win. Three wins, no losses, an 0-67 ERA in four starts, five games. He came in after Luis Castillo's rehab. That's why there's the one out of the bullpen. 27 innings, two run runs, 16 hits. One was a home run and seven walks to 40 strikeouts. 168 against. Yeah, dude's the real deal. And if you think that 168 couldn't get any lower, let me tell you about Joe Boyle. Three wins, no losses, nine starts. Tomorrow's start, he'll likely get the Tuesday start in Cedar Rapids. It'll be his 10th. 42 and two-thirds, four earned runs, 10 hits, two home runs allowed, 31 walks, 65 strikeouts, and an average of 075 against. It took a few starts for someone to get a hit against him, much less a run. But yeah, Joe Boyle is that dude. He throws close to 100 with his fastball. And really, the only thing to say about him that's wrong is just he has a tendency to walk people. Like I said, 31 walks. That's a bit up there, but his strikeout ratio is still about 2 to 1. A little more up on the 2 1. So yeah, he's doing well. Benwell Cashuda out of the bullpen. One win, no loss. Ten appearances in the area of 1.69. Spencer Stockton. He got called up, didn't he? I think he did. 1.76 ERA. Three wins, no losses. One start, seven appearances out of the pen. 
17 strikeouts to three walks. Bryce Bonin, he is hurt. He's on the IL for a while. He has a 2.52 ERA, so he's done well in his five starts, six total appearances, and one win, one loss. Connor Phillips has been the Friday starter. When he can mix in his pitches, he's dynamite. I think he'll be a really nice piece to the Reds when he gets to the majors. Ten starts, three wins, two losses. Now, when he doesn't have it, then, well, yeah. Uh, 54 innings, 17 on runs, 19 runs total, 30 hits. An average against of 169. Donovan Benoit, the bullpen, one bad performance, but since then, smooth. A 3.63 ERA, six saves out of six opportunities, one win, one loss, 15 times out of the pen, and 22 and a third. Luis Castillo, his appearance, he gave up one earned run, so he's got an ERA 3.86 since he didn't leave the third. Jake Gilbert out of the bullpen. He's done much better. 3.86 ERA, three wins, one loss, 13 appearances out of the pen. Jake Gozo, 3.86, no wins, no losses, 11 appearances out of the pen, two saves out of two. James Proctor, another starter, four and three, 4.35 ERA in nine starts. He has become the Sunday starter since Abbott got moved up to Chattanooga. Evan Kravitz, he's been mostly used as a bullpen guy. He's made two starts, eight appearances out of the pen, 440 ERA and 28 two-thirds, and he's the only lefty the team has. Now, of course, that could change, you know, with transactions and everything. I mean, they did designate James Marinan for assignment. Spoiler, we'll get to his stats in a little bit. His ERA got a bit high, but I think the designate for assignment isn't really getting rid of him unless the team really wants him because he was on the Reds 40-man roster. So that's why. So I think he's still with Dayton. He's just not part of the 40-man roster for Cincinnati anymore, unless someone snagged him up, which we'll find out later. Miles Gaiman out of the bullpen. Two wins, no losses, 12 appearance, a 4.74 ERA. Christian Roa, starter, 1-2-5 and two and five with 5.21 ERA. Thomas Farr, another starter, six starts and two calls out of the pen, a 5.59 ERA with two losses. Braxton Roxby, the slider magician, 1-0, a 6.75 ERA. His first appearance, he got roughed up, but Braxton Roxby, he should be the real deal. James Marinan, I already mentioned, he got designated for assignment, but I believe he's still with the Dragons team. That's a 7.71 ERA, two wins, three losses in four starts, six calls out of the pen. He has mainly been a bullpen guy since of late. Carson Rudd, he's hit into a bit of trouble. An 8.36 ERA, 1-3. He was one of the more reliable bullpen arms, but since then, he's got hit hard. And he has one blown save, as does James Marinan. And then we got Vin Timpanelli. He's back from last year. Four appearances, an ERA of 9. Nick Hansen, he is down in the Arizona League, I believe. Uh, 9.53 ERA. And Jake Stevenson. 14 appearances, 1-1, one one, a 10.54 ERA. I know that's the highest, and I know that's a ghastly number, but two really rough appearances start off the year, and since then, he's found his way. Yeah, his runs, he's given up 16, but let me tell you, those few rough patches were pretty rough. And now let's look at the 2022 schedule for the Dragons. I mentioned Cedar Rapids on the road for six and then back home next week, the 21st against Lake County. It will be a six game set with the captains. And I believe 
that signals the end of the first half. It'd be nice if it was actually mentioned where the end of the first half was, but we're getting close. Dragons could have clinched the first half if they took four or six from Great Lakes. They took one of six. So, yeah, now they're going to have to really get their work cut out at Cedar Rapids and at home against Lake County. And then, oh, to close out the month at Great Lakes. Maybe Dayton can give them a little taste of their own medicine at home. Who knows? Or maybe Great Lakes does have a really nice squad. And then July the 4th, normally an off day. It's going to be a home game against West Michigan for 7.05, first pitch. That is weird, seeing a, well, I guess fireworks. I don't know why I thought it was weird. Just Monday and just a holiday. Just, I don't know. So, yeah. Dayton Dragons, still really good. And now fans around here have a chance to get an alternative jersey that the Dragons are wearing. They're going to mix it in a few times, I think a couple more times this month, and then three more times at least to close out the season. And then next year, it's going to be mixed in with the rest of their jerseys. Not going to be a schedule like the orange on Fridays or the green on Sundays, but it's going to be a part of the Dragons jersey roster for quite some time. Now, for you folks that want one, which is really cool, it's Gem City. It's like a city uh, jersey for the Dragons. You can go to your day air credit union to open up a premium checking account, which costs six bucks a month. And you need 200 minimum to put in your account or get a loan. And you get one of those jerseys for free if they have them. So, yeah, that's the only way to get them. You can't buy them in stores. I think next year they might do that, but I don't know. I don't work in that department. I just run scoreboard and and talk and then that's it. But, yeah, these these are really cool jerseys. Snooba thought that painting out by the left field concession stand would have some connection. If you don't know what I mean, there the same script Gem City is painted on the wall. And yeah, it's really beautiful. It's really cool. It, it just says, hey, we're part of Gem City. In fact, their new splash screen and everything, if you go to the game, is really cool. So there you go. Your Dayton Dragons. Alex McGarry has been promoted up. Let's Take a look real quick to see if there's any transactions for today, Monday, the 13th of June. And it doesn't appear to have any. It's just Madrano to Dayton. That was before McGarry got the call up. And Cincinnati. Yeah, that's the second to last one. Rivera San Martin roster status changed by Louisville Bats. I have no idea what that means. Oh, Chris Oakey, former Dayton Dragons, now with the Reds. And that should be a perfect time to talk about Cincinnati's ball club. Hey, we're not last anymore. Yay! By last, I mean last in baseball. Now we're second to last. The Kansas City Royals only have 20 wins. The Reds have 21. I know what a lot of this I'm going to say sounds really, really stupid, but... Also remember, the Reds had a 3-22 start to the year. So what I'm going to say makes sense. 21-39, that's the Reds' record. They're 12 and a half back of first and a wild card spot. And they have lost seven of the last 10. So it seems like they're trending backwards a bit. 12-17 and 17 in Cincinnati, 9-22 and 22 away. And guess where they're at tonight? Arizona. So stay up late, all your Reds. 
Still last in the NL Central. They're two and a half back of fourth place Cubs and the Chicago Cubs, 23 and 36. Pirates are not in last place. Sound the alarm. 24 and 34. Milwaukee second, 34, 28. And St. Louis, of course, they are 34, 27 in first place. Although if you look at the last 10, it's not good for anyone. I mean, St. Louis, they're at 500, I guess. Milwaukee, two in their eight in their last 10, three and seven for the Pirates, Cubs, and Reds in their last 10. Yeah, it seems like no one wants the NL Central. Brewers are half game back. Pittsburgh's eight and a half back. Yeah. In case you're wondering who's leading the divisions, New York Mets, 40 and 22. They're leading the East by five and a half back of Atlanta. And in the West, Dodgers, they're a half game up on San Diego. Wow, the Padres are actually doing something. Oh, wait, it's early in the season. Wait till later in the season, say that. Giants are three and a half back. And Arizona, the next opponent for the Reds, they are nine back at 29-33. 14 and 16 at Chase Field, 15 and 17 away. Actually, it seems to be a pretty competitive NL West. Whereas the NL Central, yeah. 12 and a half back first after a 3 and 22 start to the year. I mentioned the Royals 20 and 39. So same amount of losses as Cincinnati. Just one less win. Half game better. Yay. And I take that. Nope. Baltimore has 26 wins. I thought for a second there. I can't do numbers. I've talked too much on two podcasts. So my ability to do math is uh, reaching its end point. I do want to say. I'm laughing at the title of the second to newest headline on Reds.com. Reds bullpen able to hold on to avoid series sweep. Okay, let me ask you this. When is the last time we were able to say, hey, the bullpen's pretty good for the whole season, not just the beginning part? Are we ever going to get a bullpen that's not guys and heading towards their 40s that were great back in their prime, but nowadays they're not? We ever going to have, you know, good names to go in the bullpen? That's what I hope for. Of course, I always hope that the Reds would just win. But, you know, silly. As a team, the Reds are 20th in baseball. They're hitting 239 along with the Houston Astros and one batting point better than the Seattle Mariners. Your worst batting team are the Oakland Athletics at 212, which breaks my heart. They, like Cincinnati, went through a big fire sale to begin the season. And unlike Cincinnati, there is a lot of talks of Oakland leaving town, meaning Oakland has the Oakland Roots soccer team. And that's kind of it. Raiders are in Las Vegas. The Warriors technically aren't in Oakland. They're at, uh, what is that, Chase? That's Chase, right? No, because Oracle Arena is the old place. And that was in Oakland, whereas this place is more San Fran. At least I think. I don't know. I've never been out west. Your best hitting team, the Mets. They're hitting 265. Washington not far behind at 257 with the Colorado Rockies. Boston 254. Toronto 253 with Minnesota. St. Louis hitting 250 with Philadelphia. New York Yankees 2. Cleveland at 249 with Los Angeles and the Dodgers. That's your top 10 with two teams tied for 10th. Pitching-wise, lowest ERA belongs to the Yankees at 285. Highest ERA is not the Reds. It's the Nationals at 5.32. But the Reds, they're only a few points better at 5.29. 
and the Royals are at 5.18. Top 10, Yankees 285, Astros 303, Dodgers 306, Rays 326, Padres 331, Toronto 359, Boston 361, Cleveland 366, Atlanta 370, and Detroit 372. Just 01 better than Milwaukee at 373. That's your top 11 because why? Because I said so. Now let's look at players for the Reds. And this is probably going to take me forever to find. Oh, there it is. Reds. Hey, I was worried there's going to mix in all the teams. And it starts being a home runs, which is nice. Brandon Drury, former South Bend Silverhawk. He's got 11 to lead the Reds. And your best average on the team. If all players please, not just three you want to pick. Tyler Stevenson. Again, he's hurt for four to six weeks. Think a broken thumb. 305. The dude's a monster. And maybe it is time to have the talk. Do we put Stevenson at first and maybe Joey Votto gets on a swan song? Maybe DH? Which, uh, you know how much Stevenson's been hurt. I mean, I don't want to take him away from his native spot. But if he keeps getting hurt like this, there's good reason. We want Stevenson to stay healthy and have a career much similar to Johnny Bench's back in the 70s. I mean, that's me. You might have a different take like, oh, yeah, we got to protect him. Move him to first. Who's to say he's not going to hurt? get hurt there? You know, all those base runners running towards you. You have to be on the tail end of ground outs and everything like that. Yeah. Albert Amora Jr. Wow, his batting average has really ballooned up to 295. And Jonathan India, 295 as well. Hopefully we'll see him in the near future. But Amora Jr., wow, that's a big surprise. 295. Brandon Drury hitting 277. That's a nice sight. Kyle Farmer, 275. Matt Reynolds, 274. Who to think that Matt Reynolds would be A with the Reds and be a starter? In the infield, Tyler Naquin, 255. He's had a few trips to the IAL. JT Riddle in his two games hit 250. Tommy Pham is hitting 247. That's dropped a bit, hasn't it? Because I thought he was closer to 280 than not. Alejo Lopez, 246. Nixon Sell, 213. Colin Moran, 210. Joey Votto, 208. TJ Friedel, 202. I saw he had a big hit in yesterday's win in St. Louis. Excuse me. Mike Moustakas, 200. Aristides Aquino back with the Reds. He's hitting 172. He is doing better since getting designated for assignment. Taylor Motter, he had a few games with the Reds up in Canada, 167. Ramos Garcia, wow, his numbers really dipped down, 159. I thought he was batting like 250. Shows you how much I keep up to date with all these stats. The answer is not as often as I should for a professional podcast. Mark Colesvery, 091. Jake Fraley, 116. Colesvery, also a former Dayton Dragon, playing six games. Ronnie Dawson, one game. I believe he went 0 for 3. And Chris Oakey, he went 0 for 3 in his debut yesterday. Pitching-wise, I don't even know if I want to look at these, to be honest, but I have to. I'm a professional podcaster. I'm professional. Can we stop putting on qualified players? So what is with these stats? Ross Detwire out of the bullpen. Seven appearances. Has yet to give up a run. Struck out three walks, six and five and a third. Used to be a starter for the Washington Nationals and now has wound up in the Reds' bullpen. 
Connor Overton is having four great games. One win, no losses, a, a ERA of 1.82 and 24 and two thirds, five earned runs, 15 hits. But he's been shelved with, what was it, lower back stress, lower back pain? Graham Ashcraft, how about this young man? Three wins, five starts, a 2.22 ERA with 15 strikeouts and five walks. Yeah, dude's going to be a real deal. Justin Wilson out of the pen, five appearances out, 0-1, a 2.45 ERA. Alexis Diaz, he's been sturdy, he's been strong in 26 calls out of the bullpen. That is easily the most games so far. Two wins, no losses, a 2.48 ERA. Jeff Hoffman, not too bad, 22 appearances, three ERA, one win. Luis Castillo as a starter, 3.23, 2-4 in seven starts. Joel Kunal, he got the Saturday loss, a 3.52 ERA, one loss, 12 games, and one blown save. Tyler Malley, he's been roughed up, 5.07 ERA and 13 starts, 2-5. and five. Hunter Green, 5.10 ERA, 12 starts, 3-7. and seven. Yeah, the ERA is not great. Yeah, the seven losses aren't great, but this young man is definitely the future. Gets a few things tweaked, and bam, he's going to be just as advertised, and I can't wait. So I'm not worried about Hunter Green. He'll figure it out. He's going to be good. 79 strikeouts, by the way. That's the tops on the Reds pitching staff. Luis Sessa out of the bullpen, 22 appearances. He has started once. I think it was the opening experiment, and then they just said, nah. A 5.18 ERA, two wins, one loss. Nick Lodolo, he's been shelved for a while. Three starts, one and two, a 5.52 ERA and 14 and two thirds. A little worried on that, but again, he's going to be part of the future. He'll figure it out. Tony Santion, one loss, 5.68 ERA and 20 appearances. Hunter Strickland, 23 appearances, an ERA of 6, 0 and 2. Art Warren, 2 and 2 with three saves. By the way, saves Santion, 4 out of 7. Strickland, 1 of 1. And Warren, 3 of 6, former UC Bearcat. However, Warren's ERA is a bit up there at 6.23 and 23 appearances. Buck Farmer, I believe he's still in Louisville. At 10 appearances out of the Reds bullpen, 6.75 ERA. Same ERA for Matt Reynolds out of two appearances. Why are we putting him out? Oh, yeah. I know why. Never mind. Vladimir Gutierrez. What has happened to him? Eight starts, two appearances out of the bullpen, one in six, a 7.61 ERA. Wasn't he decent last year? Am I not remembering that right? <sighs> Ryan Hendricks, 810 ERA. This just gets more depressing. Mike Miner, the scheduled starter for tonight, 8.64, two losses, two starts. Kill me, please. Robert Duggar, 9 ERA, one appearance out of the pen. Lucas Sims, he's been shelved again. 9.45 ERA, one save out of one try, six appearances, one win, no losses. Dowry Moretta, one loss, 9.88 ERA, 15 appearances, one start. Jared Solomon, 9.95 ERA in seven. And Daniel Duarte, three appearances, a 10.13 ERA. God, that just made me depressed. Why is this Reds Why? Why do we have a Reds team that should be competing for a title and yet it just keeps... Oh, I know why, but my God, that's depressing. And the Merrill Kelly is the 
schedule started for Arizona. His ERA is slightly lower than Mike Miner's, a 3.32 ERA, 5-3. and three. Yes, I know. Earlier in the year, I said, Mike Miner, that's not a bad signing. But if you think about Wade Miley, and you could have had him for cheap, and then you gave up some, you gave up Amir Garrett for Miner. Not to say that Garrett would have been any better in the bullpen, but my God, some of those numbers, they're making my eyes bleed. Now I need to go to the doctor because my eyes are bleeding. No, they're not. I'm okay. Anyway, red schedule, talking about it. You know, I thought this team was on on some type of track, but then that Thursday afternoon loss to Arizona, the bullpen blew it after leading most of the game. 2-0 loss at St. Louis. I can handle that. 5-4 loss with the bullpen imploded. I can't handle that. And then holding on 7-6 where the bullpen almost gave it up. Again, why can't we have a strong bullpen? I don't want names of yesteryear unless they're proven to be effective. I want people that can actually contribute in the bullpen with that killer instinct saying, I'm going to get this done and actually get it done. That's what I want. Anyway, three games set at Arizona, 940, 40, all Eastern time. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then back home Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Brew Crew, and then back home against the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles. I keep forgetting the Reds started 640. 640 Friday, 410 Saturday, 140 Sunday, 640 Tuesday, Wednesday against the Dodgers, and then 1235 next Thursday. And then on the road at San Francisco and then at Chicago, and that's your June. So the Reds have been better, but I mean it's still it's still a big dumpster fire. I I'm I know Nick Cassianos wouldn't have solved all the team's problems, but man. Wasn't the team so close to a playoff spot last year? Why would you dump all that? That's what I don't fully understand about it. To align payroll. Yeah, I've heard that crap many times. I get it. But you were so close. And the four games set against Washington. This is a team that you're supposed to compete against. And you lose three of four. The only win was on Lou Gehrig Day on the second. Eight to one. It just the way that we played against Arizona the first few innings on Tuesday and then Monday shutting them out. It's like, I, I again, this Reds team. I still love them. I'm a Cincinnati fan through and through, and my allegiance isn't going anywhere. But where are you going to go? Oh, uh, somewhere else, maybe like Florence. Yeah, Florence, Kentucky. They're home of them all. They used to have Lazarus. No, Florence Yalls. They're at Thomas More Stadium. That is so weird to say. It, it, for the longest time, it was UC Health Stadium. I think it was like Champion Stadium for one point. Something like that. The Glass Company, not like, hey, we're champions. In the Frontier League, independent ball. And unfortunately, really, around here, we don't have a lot of independent ball teams. Florence is really the only one. Washington, Pennsylvania is the second closest. I think, well, Illinois, eh. you get what I'm saying. We have one team and we're going to talk about it because you know why? Because they're part of the Cincinnati sports scene as well. And I wish I had better news on the y'all's front spec. Let me try that again. I wish I had better news for y'all's. 
Florence is 9 and 17. Last place in the West. Your top team in the West, Washington Wild Things and the Evansville Otters, tied at 17 and 10. Wild Things 7 and 3 in their last 10, Otters 8 and 2. 9 and 17. I knew the Yalls picked up a few losses, but 17 of them? In case you're wondering, no, that is not the worst team in the Frontier League, not by a long shot. That would be the Empire State Grays, which is the Frontier League traveling team, because last year the Southern Illinois Miners were folded because the ownership retired. Instead of trying to sell it to maybe people that wanted to keep it going, maybe, well, actually, did they try to sell it? I don't remember. I feel like they did, and then they just couldn't find anyone, so we fold. So, yeah. There you go. They would have been in the West, but they're in the East because they're out of New York. So to tell you about the West, Washington and Washington, Pennsylvania and Evansville, Indiana, 17 and 10. Schaumburg, 14 and 12. Joliet and the Slammers. Joliet? Joliet, yeah. 15 and 13. Windy City, that's Chicago, 13 and 13. Gateway, Grizzlies, 13, 14. Lake Erie Crushers, you know, they have a grape on their logo, so they're crushing grapes. 11 and 16, and Florence at 9 and 17. However, the Yalls have won their last two. In case you're curious about the East, there's a lot of Canadian teams. If you remember a few years back, I can't remember if it was during or before the COVID 19 pandemic where Can Am and the Frontier League merged, and the Frontier League took a lot of the East Coast teams and the Canadian teams. You got the Quebec Capitals, 21 and 5. That's the best mark in the Frontier League. The Ottawa Titans, 18 and 6. Tri City Valley Cats at 14 and 12. Sussex County Miners, 14 14. New York Boulders, 13 and 14. New Jersey Jackals, 10 and 14. Troy River Angles, which should translate to Three Rivers Angels. 10 and 14, and again, the traveling Empire State Grays are 0 and 25. Let's have a look at the Florence, y'all, shall we? I do like their new logo. I like the Florence Freedom, too, but y'all's is, it does match Florence, and also their colors are based off the sky and the water tower, which I love that they did that, so they get nay okay in my book. 9 and 17, and five and seven in the West. They're eight and nine at home, but one and eight away. Their first win was May 13th against the Tri City Valley Cats. And they're just coming off a best two out of three series at home against the Windy City Thunderbolts, falling in the first game 18 to 9, but winning game 2 10 6 and the finale 9 to 4. So now the Yalls hit the road. Yalls hit the road now, you hear? And they'll visit the Gateway Grizzlies for three, the Windy City Thunderbolts for two before coming home Tuesday, June 21st. Against the Evansville Otters for a first pitch time of 6.32. 6.32. That's a weird time for a scheduled first pitch. Normally it's 6.30, 6.35, but hey, who am I to judge? They'll start a three-game series and then three more home games after that against the Gateway Grizzlies. Now let's try to find some stats on y'all's independent ball team. And this doesn't look like it's going to be very friendly, does it? Or player stats by team. I like that. Don't judge before you look. Feel like it's another Presto Sports one, which yes, it is. Okay. 
not bad, but there's some things that just irk me about it. So right now, I think your probably most experienced name you'll come across is AJ Bumpus. He was a Cincinnati Bearcat. He was drafted by the Reds and he didn't get up to Dayton or Daytona. So he played in 15 games, went 280. He's not on the roster anymore, which I don't know where he went to. But let's look at the averages. Craig Massey, a veteran utility guy. He's hitting 403 in 14 games for the Alls. Alberto Chavez, the infielder, 379. Harrison D. Nicola at 314. Casey Combs, a rookie, the first rookie we mentioned. Massey, a veteran. Chavez and D. Nicola, experience. So I think you got veteran, you got experience, then you got rookie in their first or second year because there's rookie one, rookie two on here. Just to let you know, Casey Combs, 308, a catcher. Brennan Price, 304. Ethan Stern, 294. Ray Zuberer, 293. AJ Bumpus was 280. Axel Johnson, 279. Anthony Brocato at 277. Billy Damon in six games, just 273. Joe Lido, a catcher, 263. Andreas Rios at 250. Andres Storms. At 233, Brian Leaf 212, and Skylar Mercado at 111. Edgar Martinez in six games is 0 for 3 with the bats. Let's scroll down to pitching and let you know your lowest ERA comes from the arms of Sean Hughes and Matt Reitz. Reitz, excuse me. Matt Reitz, Sean Hughes, both rookies, both right-handers, both two appearances out of the pen, both throwing two and two-thirds of shutout ball with two hits. Hughes has struck out four. Reitz has struck out three, walked one. Kent Kyleman, a 1.46 ERA in 12 and a third. He has appeared out of the bullpen seven times for a win. Griffin Baker, two starts, one bullpen call, five and two-thirds. One win, no loss. One earned run on five hits. Skylar Janissi, right-hander, four and two-thirds, one earned run, five total runs, ERA 1.93. A lot of low ERAs on here. Yaisel Santana, 2.89 ERA, three games played, one win, one loss, one and two record, and 10 calls from the pen. Evan Braband in 10 innings, 360 ERA. Justin King, a 3.68 ERA. Billy Damon, a 3.86 ERA. Janaker Villalobos, a left-hander, 4.9 and 1 ERA, 2 and 2 and 5 starts. Five starts, two losses for Jared Cheek. He's got an ERA of 6, along with right-hander and bullpen guy Joe Doherty. 10 games, no record, no, excuse me, two losses, but three saves. It appears those three saves are the most for Florence. There's a lot of pitchers. Casey Graham, the former Wright State Lake Campus Laker. He made one start, no wins, no losses, five innings, gave up 12 earned runs, 21.60 ERA, along with Luke Williamson, who made one call of the pin, went three and a third, gave up eight runs, also a 21.60 ERA. So the all staff average, I missed a few, but. The y'all staff average is 6.01, which is only slightly higher than their opponent's ERA at 5.69. So as you can tell, this is more, you know, give me some offense type of thing. And the y'alls have committed. Where is the errors on here? The errors are here. 18 errors and the opponent's 27. 
So altogether, 300 batting average on base percentage at about 38 rounded up and 33 home runs. That's not terrible. It's just there's been a few sweeps here and there, and that's kind of drug the y'all's record down. However, I have a good feeling. I think the y'all's will be able to bounce back and get in the top half of the West Division. There's also an all-star game in the Frontier League, which is so weird to see that new logo. It's a beautiful logo. I love the campus on it, but it's just the Frontier League logo has been around since 1993. I'm not used to the new one yet. The 2022 Frontier League all-star game is in Washington, Pennsylvania, which it's really beautiful field. There's the old logo. I like it. It's Wednesday, July 20th, so that's a while. We'll talk about the y'alls, all-stars when that happens, but they haven't happened yet. Now an official partner league of Major League Baseball and largest of its kind in professional baseball. Over a thousand players to MLB teams in its 29-year history. That's pretty darn legit. And yeah, the Frontier League, I wish they get some teams around here. I mean, more teams around here, not just Florence. Not that I don't want to talk about Florence, but you know what I mean. I wish we there's more teams to talk about. That's what I'm trying to say. But no, it's good quality baseball, and it's almost, for some, it's second chance to get back in the majors, get back in the farm systems, and for others, it's just a shot. They were passed up first time, you know, second time, maybe the charm, who knows. So Florence y'alls, yeah, they're last in the West, but you can't keep a good y'all down, you know? I'm running out of y'all jokes. Please help. So again, 9-17, and 17, that would be game and a half back of Lake Erie. And apparently all these games are available on Flow Baseball, which I did not realize that was a league thing. Actually, let's see if I can go back to y'all's page because I thought they had a radio affiliate at one time, but I don't think that's correct anymore. That's just a shame. But where are you going to go? There's Dayton. There's Florence. There's wherever your college summer team plays. You got plenty of options. The Reds are still making you depressed or angering you like they are with me. Well, say Thomas More Stadium is nice. They enter that uh, contract heading into this year. And like I said, used to be UC Health Stadium. But Thomas More plays there, too. There was a really nice contract, really nice partnership. So really happy to see that happening. And have I mentioned the powder blues y'all's wear are really nice? I like those. And I'm like, that's a thing that's coming back. So again, back home for six starting uh, next Tuesday, I was reading the wrong Evansville and Gateway in. So just out of curiosity, how much are tickets, y'all? If I want tickets, I click tickets, y'all. Well, fine. Let's do individual tickets. Let's stroll down. So if you buy in advance, you save a few bucks. Day of game is 13. That's not terrible. And if you get it in the family section, you can buy now for 11. So you can get it for a little bit cheaper. There's also the McDonald's VIP section, which is right behind home plate with protective netting in front. And it looks like dugout section and the VIP section have the net in front. It's one story stadium. It's a fairly new stadium, like 2003, I believe. 
lets you look at the Florence Yalls. And now we wrap it up with two more things. First off, Wright State in the baseball tournament. They went 0-2. They battled strong, and they had leads against Virginia Tech and definitely Gonzaga. But the Raiders fell to both the host Hokies and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. 0-2, a lot of accomplishments this year, running with the Horizon League again and throwing down the banhammer in the championship game, 24-0 against Oakland. Yeah, Wright State runs Horizon League in baseball. In fact, very competitive in every other sport. But baseball, yeah, it's Wright State. Especially now that UIC is gone. Well, officially gone in July. They're heading to Missouri Valley. So, again, no news that there's going to be you know, expansion Horizon League. There's been rumors. Bellarmine has been the hottest rumor. Southern Illinois, or excuse me, Southern Indiana has been rumored, but I think they already picked up an Ohio Valley Conference deal. So yeah, 0-2 in the tournament. Tough, but hey, another trip for Wright State. Still didn't beat the tournament where they beat that team in Columbus and eliminated them. That's my favorite game. In fact, every time that that team in Columbus loses and all the fans start, you know, throwing fits and blaming the umpires, the other team for being dirty and everything, I just laugh. Because... Uh, deflection is a powerful tool. It could use some reflection, but I don't fleckin' see it. Sorry, I had to use another fleckin' joke, didn't I? Anyway, right state, 0-2, but another strong year. And actually, on Champion City's team, there's two future right state Raiders. Patrick Foltz, which I think I mentioned earlier, and Gus Gregory. Foltz is out of Springfield Shawnee High School. Gregory's coming out of Strongsville High School. And I honestly think they have a shot to play. You know, year one. Normally, it's a redshirt year. You build muscle. You bulk up. You get acquainted to the college game. Which, yes, it's not really different. But you get what I'm saying. You get prepared for other college athletes. I don't know, honestly. I, I mean, for Patrick Foltz... He committed to Wright State sophomore year, so back in 2020. And he only hit about, uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, his senior year, he went like 560 or something. Dude smashed. So definitely looking forward to seeing them as future Wright State Raiders. And lastly, something that is in baseball. Jacques. This was a baseball episode. Yeah, but I didn't know where else to put this, so that'll do. So you probably know of Welcome Stadium in Dayton. It's the home of the Dayton Flyers football team. It's the home of Dayton Public Schools football and soccer teams. And it's now getting a renovation about $11 million. And you might also know it as the place where A.J. Green's career tailspun into a bad mess with Cincinnati. And now he's trying to pick it back up in Arizona, which... I hate that it happened, but yeah. So you might know Dayton Public Schools is struggling a bit. And in fact, there was an article earlier today that I read that they are predicting they're going to be out of money in three school years. So, yeah, that's a nice point to bring. But this isn't about schools. This is about sports for schools. Shut up. Dayton Public Schools, this is from WHIO staff, is spending $11 million to upgrade Welcome Stadium, which has faced a lot of scrutiny in recent years, especially after the Bengals 
practice on the field and star receiver A.J. Green got hurt. Renovations are already underway to try and transform Welcome Stadium to its former glory and to return it to being one of the most iconic venues in the Miami Valley. I mean, when I was in high school, districts and regionals happened at Welcome. And when I was, you know, still in high school and college and up till... What was it 2016 or so when there's a big cheating scandal at Dayton Public Schools for, you know, letting a team in the playoffs and others have to choke because of it? So, Welcome Stadium, you still hold it all in the Dayton area. It's a classic field, classic venue, and it's nice to see that there's going to be something happening with it. The big complaint is. The seats are really far apart. I mean, they're really far apart. You got a track, which, yeah, that adds a few lanes. But then you have this just dead area in between the track and where the seats begin on both sides. And on the home side of things, that's a good few feet. When the Dayton Dynamo played there their first year, it was like a it's like a cavern, almost an empty cavern because there's so many seats and it's just, you know, the supporting groups tried, but it's just, yeah. The stadium means so much to so many. Even Dayton Mayor Jeffrey Mims Jr. said that so many of his memories happened at Welcome Stadium. Then, of course, being a coach, those again, some of the happiest days of my life. I think I had more fun than the kids, Mims said. And also he mentioned about Ron Harper, but not the way you think. Ron Harper, of course, gave this fame for five championship rings in basketball, but he was also my goalie in soccer. Who knew that? That's something very few people are aware of, the mayor said. The hope for many is the renovations will attract new tournaments and activities to the area. The new turf, track, and lights should be finished for this fall with some of the other major upgrades completed by the fall of 2023. So new turf for Dayton Public Schools and Dayton Flyers. That's really nice. There's a picture off of Yappy that shows it. It's looking towards Edwin C. Moses, which would be uh, south, south, southwest. Yeah, that's one of those. And yeah, like I said, the track's staying, and it looks like the extra space between the lanes and the seats is not going anywhere. I don't know if it's colored because, ooh, look at this. We found the paint tool, or if they're actually going with it, but they're looking at blue and gray lanes, which there's a couple of teams in uh, Dayton City League that go with blue. Dunbar, uh, for example, Ponix Tech, and Belmont. Well, Belmont goes Columbia blue, not like Royal or Navy blue like this one is. And football field looks nice. I mean, the lights are a big thing because there's only six poles that bring you light to welcome. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I know. I love a million and school district is trying to, you know, not run out of money. But I just hope they actually have an elevator to the press box because, oh, yeah, they don't. That was supposed to be in the last round of renovations, but uh, they didn't actually put in the elevator, meaning you'd have to walk those stairs. And it's like it's like four stories high. I mean, don't get me wrong. The press box is beautiful. The view is beautiful and there's nothing like it. But the climb, especially when you're carrying a truckload of equipment. Yeah, that's not fun. So, 
yeah, that's your uh, look at Welcome Stadium getting upgrades and the episode for the baseball in Welcome Stadium. So next time, I believe we'll have guests again. Yes, I have one planned for Monday and a few more in the books. So hopefully we'll get some guests back on this podcast. I'm hoping that uh, we get around to that soon. But baseball, where are you going to go if Cincinnati is depressing you? There's Florence, Kentucky. There's Dayton, Ohio. There's Cincinnati, Steam. There's all the places that have summer collegiate teams. There's youth tournaments happening around. There's also, you know, the action, action fields in Northeast Dayton. Lots of tournaments there. Where are you going to go? A lot of places. And it's thanks to this podcast. And now we ask, do wins actually matter? No, I'm not going to make that joke because that's a stupid question. I can't believe Wing asked it twice. Twice. Yes, wins matter. It's sports. Oh, but they're minor league and they go to families. It doesn't matter. Yeah, as you can see, it's a hot button topic for me. That'll do it. That's episode 239 and baseball is covered. It's not on Dayton Sports Radio. It's on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure to bookmark SundayPod.com, spelled C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D, the official website of the podcast. You can find your favorite ways of listening to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon Music, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. You can also purchase merchandise from Tee Public and Redbubble to help support the podcast. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SindayPod and the host at the Lee W. Mowen. The closing theme is Cosmopolitan from Pecan Pie on Upbeat. This is Lee W. Mowen signing off another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Thank you for your continued listenership and join me on the next episode.